my name is Dan Brown, and this is yet another A Lens a Day. Today, conversations about information architecture. Today, I get to talk to the amazing Abby Covert. Abby, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited about this. Um, and I'm excited about this too. I'm excited about this because you uh, have always brought a uh, new and unique and interesting perspective uh, to how we do our work. Um, and I appreciate your efforts basically throughout your career to make information architecture uh, accessible for people, right? To help to make sure that people can participate in this process. And that's really where I've been starting these conversations is what about IA uh, and the IA process do you think is the most challenging piece to explain? What makes it hard for people to dive in to the information architecture process? Hmm, that's a great question. Well, first, I wanna thank you because I think you're one of the first information architects that taught me about process. So oh. like way back in the day when I was learning about IA process, uh, your writing and uh, the writing of, of other folks at HAPES was just really important to me. So thank you for sure. what you've done around that. that means um, Thanks. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what's the hardest part to get people engaged in, I, I'm kind of like I'm teetering between two answers. So I'm, I'm going to kind of give both of them. One is proving the value of doing the thinking about the IA to begin with before you're like too late in the process where you're sort of like bringing it in to save the day, um, which I don't prefer to do IA that way. Um, but then there's also this part about like scoping that like once you have proven the value that when you're scoping the actual engagement, like you've you've proven to people that this is a good idea, but now you're trying to wrap your arms around it, that it becomes tumultuous all over again. And I see a lot of people kind of throw their hands up at that point because the promise of IA and that moment are so at odds with each other. Like the promise of IA is that it's gonna bring all this clarity and like we're gonna move forward. There's gonna be all this momentum. But the part that you have to wrestle with is that you actually have to cross the chasm to get to that place. And that path um, is really fraught. And a lot of people just like don't wanna go down that path because it looks scary or they tried it before and it didn't work out. Um, so yeah, I think like in that, that beginning part, um, I think that's really the, that's the toughie for me. Yeah, I like I like that you're zeroed in on scope because IA um, maybe more than any other of, of the aspects of, of user experience has to sort of maintain two views simultaneously. One is the ten thousand foot view of what is the overall structure that we're building within, and the let's call it one foot view of what is this label right here on this page that means this category that fits into this overall structure that yeah. fits into the overall system that we're designing. So I, I feel like there's that kind of fractal aspect of the work that we're doing. Is that what you were referring to when you meant scope or did you have something else? Yeah, no, I think that it goes all the way from like the ecosystem down to the the object, like from what you're saying, like the 50,000 foot view of the entire system and how that works all the way down to that single button. I think one of the interesting things is you, you brought up the word label and like labels follow us all the way through. And I think that that really trips people up because they think that the label that you decide on the button is the only label you're deciding. Uh, when in reality, a lot of labels get decided on the way to the button. And sometimes the thing that you decided at the ecosystem level is what ends up on the button just kind of by default. And it's not always the right kind of label to be there. So I think that there's something to be said about 
people understanding the role of language as a material past just the labels that we put on things that we build for people to use in like the end state. You know, the, the labels that we use in the documentation on the way to that button is equally as important to the success of that button in my experience. You're talking about the language that we might use internally as part of the team or part of the organization to talk about the structures that we're dealing with before we actually design, let's call it the facade, the thing that the users see. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah, and it's not just the internal to internal. It can also be the internal to external. Like I see this happen all the time in marketing organizations where there's some talk about the feature before the feature's actually been designed. And there's something that the marketing team has decided about how to market that feature that then ultimately determines what it's called or or how the, the functionality of it then gets implemented because of how they've segmented it using language. You know, the, the actions that they chose to highlight then become things that need to be prioritized regardless of kind of the mental model of the user because that's the thing that was sold or the thing that was marketed to. Right. So in a lot of cases, it's, it's sort of like the language that we use internally starts to seep out externally unless we have that, that practice in place to really put the research onto those external um, audiences to make sure that the labels we're using actually make sense with them. A lot of people don't get that that far, you know, they, they're like, well, the button's there and it works. So label must be fine. You know? Right. Right. Um, so how do you help others go on this journey with you? How do you help other people who maybe don't come to the table with an IA mindset? Maybe they're a marketing person or they've got subject matter expertise, but you need them to participate in this process. And as you said, sort of cross this chasm, right? As IAs, for better or for worse, we're the donkeys, you know, going down into the chasm to take people uh, across. I feel okay about that metaphor. So, um, yeah, I mean, an ass, but yeah, you know, that's fine. It was, right there. it was right it was, there. It would not be the first time I've been called that. Um, so what do you do? Like how, like, what is that process or, or what, what are the, some of the tools and techniques that you use to help people uh, with that crossing of the chasm? I think a lot of it starts with you, like as the facilitator, as the IA, um, kind of dealing with your own crap. You know, like I, I think that in a lot of cases, we as IAs have a tendency to want to solve the problem so that we can cross that chasm quickly for people. And we'll like throw out a, an option A or an option B or maybe three options for you to choose from. Um, and sometimes those actually pigeonhole us into a solution way too soon before we've really like wrapped our arms all the way around the problem. So I feel like part of it is actually putting yourself into the position at the beginning where you remember that you don't know how to solve this problem. And everyone that you're working with also is very aware that you do not know how to solve this problem today. Now, they also have to be confident that you can help them to solve this problem. And that takes humility, that takes trust, that takes having good relationships with people and a lot of conversations and a lot of honesty about what's ahead. Um, and I think it also involves like being really clear about the partnership that you need to do your best work. And that this is not a genius moment sitting in a room alone coming up with something, that this is actually gonna take work from other people and being really clear upfront with what the expectations are for those other people. Um, labels are, you know, once again, a really, a really good example because that tends to be where everybody has a lot of opinions is when you start putting the words on everything. Um, and like, they need to know that this is not an editing exercise where you're going to like write the thing and then they're going to edit it to its perfection. This has to be a collaboration in order for it to be its best. Um, and I think like if you can position yourself as the person who's sort of the, the tour guide 
leading people uh, through the chasm. Um, I don't know that you're the donkey. Maybe we have donkeys. Somebody has to carry all the post-its, you know? Um, but yeah, I think you have to be the tour guide. You have to be the person that's like willing to go first, but is sort of like aware of what the landscape might have ahead, but is not convincing themselves that they know everything right. about what to expect. Because like somebody could fall down and break an ankle and like, we got to figure that out. Somebody could like have some sort of medical event. We got to figure that out on the tour, you know? So right. Right. you know enough to like know that like they're, they trust you. You're going to get them across the chasm safe, but like, don't convince yourself that you can predict everything. Right. <laughs> Like you, you know. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, when I run working sessions, I'm cognizant that I'm um, sitting in a domain that I am probably never going to be an expert on. I'm uh, working with people who are probably significant will have more expertise on this domain than I ever will. Um, but I am uh, embarking on a a path. Uh, and I'm leading a path that none of them have ever walked before, right? That yeah. they they have inherent knowledge, but no one's helped them draw it out in this particular way to solve these particular problems. And that's where I can find both my humility and my confidence. My humility is I'm ignorant of this. My confidence is I've had these kinds of conversations uh, before. Does yeah. that resonate? Yeah, it's like you yourself have not walked that way either. Right. You know, yes. that exact way. And maybe it was like a really similar way, but like, I don't know about you, but after doing this for a while, I, I've never run into a project that's exactly the same. Yeah. You know, like even, even ones that are, oh, this is going to be so close. Like, you know, it's an e-commerce company focused in this tiny niche thing and I'll work for two and they'll be completely different. And, right. and it wouldn't even, it won't even matter or give me an advantage that I worked on one. You know what I mean? Cause right. it's, it's that vastly different based on the circumstances, the timing, the context, the people that you're working with, the goals. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's very self-serving for us to say this thing, but it seems like IA is one of those aspects of user experience that we cannot commoditize, right? That there's just no way to make any um, piece of it reusable in this way. Like every, every we, can, we can use the same techniques again, but we're never gonna arrive at the exact same answers because every information space has nuance to yeah. it. Absolutely. I think that's that's why we have to focus on democratization. Yes. It's not about commodifying IA. It's about teaching more people to be able to IA for themselves. You know, people should not grow up not knowing how to IA their way out of a paper bag. Like you should be able to. <laughs> why not? It's basic. It's basic. Um, that was so good. Um, uh, so let's talk about the lens uh, that you picked. Which lens did you pick? And how would you describe it in your own words? Okay, so I pick stability. And the reason I pick stability is because I think that sometimes what we need to focus on when we're crossing that chasm is creating a sense of stability, a sense that you can actually trust the things that are ahead, even if the current state of things is a little bit chaotic. So like I know in the, the way that you were writing about the lens, it's really about categories being stable but I'm much more interested in the idea of like environments being stable. And that includes our work environment. You know, mm -hmm. like when I think about stability during an organizational change, right? Like everybody feels so unstable when going through a change, whether your company is 10 people or 10,000 people, you're going to feel weird when you're moving people around in boxes and arrows. And there's something about the work that we do 
that I think creates stability for people because it gets a real picture in people's minds of like, what is changing and how? And like, maybe that's changes to an organization chart. Maybe that's changes to a sitemap. Maybe that's changes to a flow, you know, whatever the, the information architecture is that we're working on. I think there's something about IA work and the practice of IA that like at its base can really like create that sense of stability for people. And I think that's really important. I think it's a gift. I was working on a project recently where I was having a tough conversation um, with someone uh, because we were, there was chaos and we were trying to make sense of it. And we were trying to um, figure out the way forward um, and really try and understand not the, just the structure of the product, but the structure of our project, like our approach. And um, I was asking a lot of questions as I am sort of want to do. Uh, and I messaged one of the other people on the call and I was like, is this going okay? I feel like this is where we may be making things worse here. And he messaged back to me, this is hard, but it is a necessary conversation. And even if the conversation is hard, I think that internal understanding of this is necessary. Uh, mm -hmm. It may be a little chaotic at the conversation level, but the, that underlying level creates this sense of stability because we're asking questions that have long needed to be asked. Is that sort of what you're getting yeah. at? Yeah, exactly. Like we don't actually need to agree to feel stable. And that is something that I think is is really like, that's a gift. If we're, say we're on a team and there's two different ways that we could be going and everyone's kind of wishy-washy about it and we're having all these meetings and everybody's dancing around it and nobody is saying what is obvious in everybody's minds that like there's two ideas here. Just saying there are two ideas here and having a record and a moment, a statement of like, hey, there's two ideas. Idea A is this and idea B is that. Like make a little information architecture of it. And the next thing you know, people are like, I don't know what we're gonna do, but I at least know that there's two choices. And now right. we can become we can become even more stable because now we can say, okay, well, how many people want A versus B? What types of people want A versus B? Maybe we need to show users A and B. You know, all of these things that we can build on once we have that stable base. But without the stable base, everything just feels wobbly. Everything just feels chaotic. You can't get to that that clear place. Are uh, information architects uniquely positioned? to do this for a team? Or do you think that this, this can be anybody on the team? Or what role is the IA playing in creating the stability on the team or project level? Either? Well, I have a very, very many thoughts about this. Number one, I think that information architecture is uniquely positioned to help people with this. Number two, I think anyone can practice information architecture. And number three, I don't think that you need an information architect to know much about information architecture, let alone practice it pretty uh, sufficiently, and I, I think a lot of teams at this point are doing that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think uh, I think anyone can do this. I think that like when my son is like really frustrated because he can't put together his current Lego set, um, he can create his own form of stability by creating little piles of all the pieces and going to the living room and finding the one he was missing. You know, that's that's stability. Um, so yeah, I, th I think anybody can do it. That uh, image really resonates with me on a visceral level. I just need you to know. I get it. The Legos or the adorable toddler or both? I mean, I'm saying the holistic picture of everything you just said is, <laughs> yeah, is, is resonating with me. Awesome. What, uh, how do you help teams get better at this? Or how do you help teams sort of 
um, uh, what tools do you bring to the table to help them see or create a sense of stability for themselves? You said the word see, and I think that that's where it is. I really think that it's about creating those objects of discourse. I think it's about, I'm not going to say documentation. I'm going to say the other D word, the D word I'm much more interested in, the D word of diagram. Um, I think that using visuals to get your point across, to help people to get over that chasm, it's just, I just think it's the number one tool. Like I've been doing this for a long time and I've worked with a lot of different types of people. I don't think it's just visual thinkers. I don't think it's just data nerds. I think it's a basic human thing that when we see a picture of something and we share that picture of something with somebody else, we both have a bit closer picture that's like matching to each other's just a little bit closer. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that that's like, that's the number one tool that I would recommend for, for creating a sense of stability is like, if people can't see it, they cannot feel stable in it. Um, and information environments, you know, imagine trying to feel stable in a physical environment you could not see, like it would be very difficult. And if you have site issues, you have other tools that allow you to create that stability in that physical environment you cannot see. I feel like in information environments, like the way that we create that stability is by allowing people to use visuals to actually see the stuff you can't see. You right. can't see the structure of a website and not in the zoomed out way unless somebody makes a diagram of it. And so it's really hard to make decisions about how it should work or who should own what or when to build what or what to fund if you can't see it. So, so yeah, diagram it, make a thing. The, um, the internet told me that you are in fact working on a new book about diagramming. Is that, did I get that right? It's true. I think I told you, but yes, it's true. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I think I told you on the internet, but yes, it's true. I mean, if it weren't for the internet, you wouldn't have been able to tell me. You would have to mail me a letter. I, I would have mailed you a letter though. Is that, <laughs> you know, cause I would have, I would have. You know me, you knew oh me back in that day. I, I would have mailed you a letter, Dan Brown. I would have been like, oh, I got a letter from Addie. It would have had cartoons. Um, what? So that's awesome. I, you know, books about diagrams are very near and dear to my heart. Um, what are, is there maybe a new kind of diagram or a, a diagram that maybe hasn't gotten a lot of love or something that you've talked about in that book that you can describe to us now? What sort of visualizations um, do you think are maybe um, things that people could or should make more use of? Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the most flippant answer that I can muster. On okay. I, think, I think that the best diagrams are the ones that you haven't made yet. I think that we need to stop looking for examples that give us directions to places we've never gone. I think that people need to be more free to make types of diagrams we've never seen before. And yeah, that's what I wrote a book about. I, I want to, I want to teach you to diagram like I learned to cook, right? We learn about the ingredients and we spend some time with recipes, but ultimately it's not about that. It's about what do you do with the things that are in front of you when you're hungry? What do you do with the things in front of you when things are not clear, when people are stuck? Yeah. And that's, uh, that's what I'm writing a book about. That's that's super cool. I love that. And that I, uh, if I may, that was sort of the aspiration of communicating design, uh, which was to sort of take a diagram and break it down into its component parts. Um, uh, so I really appreciate this notion that you are getting here. So I'm really excited for your book of like thinking it less in terms of breaking it down into its bricks and more, what are the techniques? What should I be looking for? How do I 
how do I kind of pull um, everything that I've learned about cooking together into kind of inventing my own meals? That feels like a much more IA way of thinking about these things, right? Sort of bringing this new perspective to the table. If you were to give someone a piece of advice on how to bring stability, say, let's just to bring it back to the lens, to their practice, what, what advice, how might you coach someone, maybe a, a younger designer who's not been exposed to IA as much, how might you coach them on bringing stability to their practice? I think that it would be about confidence. Like, I think that it takes a lot of confidence to make that mark on the page between two people that are having that chaotic moment. And I know from my own experience that it is that one single dot on that piece of paper that starts to create that change and starts to lead towards that stability. So I would I would say like, yeah, this I, be the person that makes the first mark. Like be the nice. person that senses that that volatility in the room or in the Zoom call or whatever and like does the thing where they say, hey, 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 I, I don't think we're on the same page here. And then take out the page and make sure everybody gets on it. Like be that person, you'll you'll have a job for life. I mean, people just, people want to work with people that, that are brave like that. So I wish that more people knew that. I, I wish that I had known that sooner, that yeah. like you can have that kind of bravery and not, um, not be thrown out of the room for it you know, to actually be right. thanked for it sometimes. Right. Even if it's in the, the background for a while, you know, like right. sometimes you don't get the praise in the room of like, hey, good job. But then you'll get that thing in the lunch line later on. Somebody go, you know, I was really confused on that. And you bringing it up and made that making that little picture really helped. Yeah. And that maybe they weren't brave enough in that room in that moment because their manager was sitting there who doesn't respect them or they're supposed to be the subject matter expert and they felt undervalued in that moment. Whatever their reason is, you can be the person that gives that person that stability. And often when you're finding it for yourself, you're giving it to somebody else. So yeah, totally. yeah, be that person. That's great. So when can we expect this book or is that not a question I should ask? Oh, I, am, I am promising myself that I will know by the end of next month when this book is gonna be done. Oh, nice. I keep tinkering with the damn thing, Dan. I just keep tinkering. I send it out to readers and they send me really great feedback. And then I wanna tinker it with it some more. So I have an editor. She's very talented. I'm very excited to have a partner to work with finally on this. Um, and yeah, it'll be out soon. I'll That's let great. you. Know. I'll let the internet know, and then the internet will let you know. The internet will tell me. Or, it's out, I promise. Or I'll yeah. get a, a postcard in the mail, one way or the other. Oh my gosh! Send me your address. I'll send you a postcard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will do that. Hey, Abby, thank you so much for chatting with me. This was so cool. This was awesome. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. This was like a, a great Friday activity for me. So thanks. Yes. I will stop the recording.